Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. There is a lot of guilt. I think that's associated often with the word should. I should do something or I shouldn't do something. And I always like to remind people that should comes from some authority. So where is this should coming from in your life? Like I should take this client because they were referred to me. Well, says who, what, what authority is telling you you have to do that? And do you like and, re- and agree with that authority? So should and guilt, uh, I think they walk hand in hand. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. Today, we are talking about stress and overwhelm and overworking because it's not just common in the accounting space, but it's almost as if it's expected. It's almost assumed that a firm will have, or being a CPA will include long hours and it will include the stress of meeting client demands and client deadlines. Not only does mental health suffer as a result of setting things up this way, But what we want to dig into today is a conversation about mindset because people talk about it, but it doesn't typically get understood what it actually is. And in my program, CPA Mastermind, we face it head on and we tackle it. I have a team of coaches who coach mindset one-on-one in private coaching with CPA masterminders. And today I brought on one of my coaches, Emma Richter, to talk about what coaching is and isn't and how it's beneficial inside that program in particular. Emma, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Geraldine. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. So give listeners a quick introduction to who you are and what you do. All right. So my name, as you said, Emma Richter. I am a former CPA. I've worked in both private and public accounting, and I've been an accounting professor for the last 20 years. Mostly I teach advanced accounting, as your CPAs will remember the fun of consolidations and foreign currency exchange. So I am also a life coach, a certified life coach. And I love this work and I really love it for CPAs. Okay, awesome. So a long history as a CPA, now teaching accounting and a life coach. Tell listeners a little bit about why you wanted to become a certified life coach. I wanted to become a certified life coach uh, mostly because I saw the amazing difference it made in my life as far as stress and happiness. And it just gave me the tools 
to deal with my own mindset and emotional reactions. So let's dig in right there with um, and address something that I think maybe gets swept under the rug. A thought that might sound like, but I'm an accountant and we don't do feelings and emotions inside business. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And I felt the exact same way. I never considered myself a touchy-feely person. I loved the analytical, logical side of accounting. But this thought work that we do, this mindset work, is actually very logical. And emotions and the reactions they cause are logical. We don't um, actualize auras or align chakras. It is very logical and analytical and so useful. Yeah, no crystals. I mean, if people want to do crystals and chakras and meridians, I mean, I'll have at it, but that's not what we're doing. So give listeners a sense of what we are doing. You said that it's logical. Can you talk a little bit more about that? We coach according to the thought model, which is a very logical construction that starts with circumstances. It goes to your thoughts about those circumstances. Then you have feelings based on those thoughts, which causes your actions and results. So it's a nice linear model that we work through going both up and down. And if you think, I just read this recently and I thought it was fascinating. If you think that your emotions don't matter, scientists know that the amygdala, can read and identify emotion in another person's face within 33 milliseconds. And then they respond with that emotion based on our mirror neurons. So when you go into a client meeting and you're already feeling defensive, you're setting up that conversation to be defensive. Okay, let's all, let's stay in the, um, I just want to go right after this, you know, emotions have no place in business and accountants are logical thinkers and we're rational. And I totally get it, right? I'm a linear thinker right there with you. And we're all human. So for the accountants who are like, ah, I really don't want to, I don't want anyone near my emotions. Like, what are some of the emotions that we're actually talking about? So the emotions we end up discussing are emotions like stressed, overwhelmed, defensive, uncertain. Those are the emotions that we deal with a lot in the CPA realm that everyone experiences. And we talk about those almost like they're a badge of honor sometimes. Yeah, it's it's tax season. So of course, I'm overwhelmed. I'm supposed to be. We're here to tell you that there is another way to do things, a better way. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the badge of honor, because I think this is part of why this is such a an endemic problem, and it continues to perpetuate itself because the belief is that this is just how it is. How do you see accountants showing up with predetermined stress? What are some of the thoughts that they think are facts that are like 100% always true? How does it sound when you're listening to them? It sounds like it's tax season. So of course I'm miserable. I have to deal with clients and that's very stressful. I'm only here to do reports or to be uh, their tax person and we're not partners. I'm just sort of like the janitor that takes out the trash they don't want to deal with. I take care of a problem that nobody likes. Gotcha. And those things can sound like they're absolutely true. Of course, I'm miserable. It's tax season. It makes perfect sense. Doesn't everybody understand? This is, this is how it is. 
So when a thought like this comes up, how would you coach a client through this belief, of course, I'm miserable, it's tax season, or clients are stressful, they have a never-ending set of demands? How do you help them see that there might be other ways to look at this? Well, the first step is always awareness. Uh, They come into a session feeling stress, but not realizing that there is a thought behind it that is causing that stress. So the first step is always awareness. And then once we realize that we have this particular thought causing this emotion, then we start to pick it apart. Is that really true? Would someone possibly have a different opinion here? Uh, Could you add some qualifiers? I am learning to be. I want to see a difference. So we start with awareness, and then we start to pick that thought apart, and eventually the idea is to replace it with a thought that we like better that leads to a better feeling and result. So once somebody sort of is willing to loosen their grip on the thought clients are stressful and they have a never-ending set of demands, maybe they can start to see that there are other ways, in fact, to think about this. Then what's the, what happens next? Like what's the next part of the conversation? Once a CPA that I'm working with starts to see that, yeah, maybe it's not a fact that all clients are stressful and that there are are truly never-ending demands, Uh, I actually, it's kind of funny, I like to play with ideas like that and kind of, I do this with my own self-coaching, kind of laugh at myself, like, is it really never-ending? Like, for all eternity, they're making demands. I like to do that, kind of loosens it up. Then you're like, okay, so it's not exactly true that it's never-ending and that they're all stressful. Let's look for some alternatives. Sometimes clients are stressful. Sometimes I really enjoy working with them. Sometimes they have many demands. Sometimes I've already anticipated their demands. Sometimes they have few demands. We start picking apart and looking for alternative paradigms that they already have, they just don't realize. Can you talk a little bit about how these thoughts tend to show up in their results and perpetuate the very reality that they tend to not want to be recreating. Yeah, absolutely. And this is really, I think, the the results is what brings people to coaching because they have they don't even know about the thought and the feeling, but they know that they don't like their result. So the result is that I avoid certain clients. I um, stress about what they're going to ask me. And that is because you have this thought clients are stressful and they're and they have never ending demands you play that out and then your result becomes i am stressed by my clients i'm constantly worrying about their demands yeah once you can see that you're creating your own results through your own thinking then what comes next because if you don't think that another way is possible but you don't like the reality that you're currently creating, it can feel like you're stuck in a jam. So how do you get people from like, okay, now I see how I'm creating my own reality, my own results, but now what do I do? Well, the next step is to try to uh, play with that thought, to give some kind of qualifier to the thought, to get a 10% better thought. Because you might think clients are stressful, all the time. 
But then you can maybe get yourself to remember a time when they weren't stressful. So you could even get to, well, clients are stressful often, but that's not all the time. So we just try to tease out 10% better thoughts along the way. And I will say, what does not work is to adopt a thought you don't believe. Like, my clients are amazing and I always enjoy working with them. If you don't believe that, that's not going to help you. But if you do believe, sometimes clients are stressful, but sometimes they're very enjoyable. That is a much better thought, and you do believe it. And then it continues to perpetuate that reality if you focus on the thought. Sometimes clients are enjoyable, and I do enjoy working with them. Then you continue to find ways to make that ever-increasingly true. So we've, you know, kind of harped a little bit on clients here and clients are stressful with their list of never-ending demands. Let's talk about time and the, in air quotes, limitations of time and how there's never enough time. How do you see that commonly showing up? What's the thinking sound like? What's the perspective there? Yeah, I love time because there are so many mind-bendy thoughts around time. Time is absolute. Yes, we do have 24 hours in the day, but your experience of time is what can make all the difference in the world. And we all know this because there's all the expressions like time flies when you're having fun. I mean, you know, your vacation's over in a blip, (laughs) but people come and they say, "I, I just don't have enough time to get my work done. They feel overwhelmed and they create the reality that there isn't enough time to get their work done. They don't get their work done in that time. If you bring the drama down and you think something like, I will get my work done in the time it takes, or there is time to get everything done, you can bring the drama out of those statements and you'll be surprised at how much more efficient and effective you are with your time. And how can somebody tell if their thoughts about time are not serving them? Always blaming time for their problems is a a big one. Like, I didn't have the time to do this. There's never enough time. If you're having thoughts like that, where you look at the result and you blame it on time which is completely a neutral circumstance, then you know that it's your thoughts about time. It's not time itself. Time can never be at fault for your results. Never. Let's talk about money. Money is such an interesting thing in the accounting space because accountants touch, not physically, but almost literally touching money all day long compared to other business owners like your marketers or maybe your physicians who aren't really touching money all day long in the same way. And yet there is a strong undercurrent set of beliefs about money. And I'm wondering what you hear commonly in terms of money mindset that you see playing out. One thing I see playing out a lot is a lack of confidence in pricing their services at a higher level It's almost like they don't, because the accounting is so easy for them, because they are so skilled at it, they feel like they cannot demand that higher level of pricing from their clients. I think they undervalue their worth to the client. They limited it to just reports or tax forms. And they have so much knowledge about money that they could share that creates so much value to clients. And I think they also underestimate 
the tremendous amount of fear that some clients have around money and numbers in general. And they don't realize how much uh, their confidence and their calm you know, understanding of money, it, what a gift that is to a client who truly is just terrified of the situation. And so what are some of the thoughts that you might hear that might be commonplace when it comes to either pricing or money, stuff like that? Like, how does it, how might they recognize these kinds of thoughts in their own mind? Well, I love pricing, first of all, as a topic of conversation, because so many CPA firms are still pricing based on by the hour, they're still tracking by eight minute increments or six minute increments. And there is such a different mindset you can have about pricing that is better for the client, it's better for you. Oh, yeah. It's better for your client when you charge them more. Absolutely. It's good for my clients when I raise my prices. Yep. And I'm thinking about an, um, an opposite one is like, people don't want to pay more. They, I've said this one a lot. They won't pay this for that. My client's never going to go for that price. There, do you ever hear, there's no way I could make that amount of money? Or um, I don't want to be greedy or... Justify. A lot about justify. Yeah. Talk about justifying. Because I think I hear a lot of people like having to justify, they feel like they have to justify their value, they have to justify their price. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot. And I think it comes out of this hourly uh, paradigm for charging that you have to have some cost basis or some thing that justifies your price that has to be based on history or something, when in reality, your price is up to you and the market will tell you whether that is a good price or not. And that is a problem for CPAs because they like to be right. And we wanna know what's the right price? What's the, uh, but there is no right price. The right price is what's supported by the market. We want to be right in our accounting. We want our balance sheets to balance. But pricing is a totally different mindset. Yeah, pricing is a totally different mindset. It does not need to be backed up or justified by formulas. You touched on wanting to be right and the, the need to be right in your accounting. And you and I have talked about um, being right in air quotes as a business owner. So what are you seeing in terms of helping accountants make the sort of mental shift of, oh, right, okay, being right over here in accounting is a good thing. But over here, when it comes to running my business, when I have my CEO hat on, it's actually not a good thing. What's what's coming up there? How are you helping people reframe that? That is, that is a very important um, shift in mindset. And I think it comes down to almost compartmentalizing, like you said, putting on your CEO hat versus putting on your accounting hat. And this really is probably trickier, the better CPA you are, um, the more integrity that you have with your numbers, the more you care about getting your accounting right, then that is ingrained in you as a thought process that there is a right way to do things. But then when you put on your entrepreneurial hat, right is really just dependent on the market. And that's when you need to be innovative and creative and take risks and fail and be willing to alter things based on feedback. So I think it comes down to compartmentalizing and realizing, okay, this is the hat I have on now. And so I need to have a different mindset around my activities. So in there, you brought up risk and failure, which I think are such huge forces 
that hinder accountants from moving forward. So many of us were schooled to not fail and to get A's and that kind of thing. How is anti-failure a problem for accountants in running their firms? What are you seeing? Well, it's a huge problem because it makes you unwilling to take risks. You need to know the outcome before you do it. And when you're marketing, when you're trying out new packages, new pricing, it's not possible to know the outcome before you take the action. And I do think this is a real problem. And It's funny, I even see this in my university students, that they get really upset if they don't get everything right on these very complex consolidation worksheets. They're tremendously complex, and if they get a 95, they're very disappointed. That kind of thinking, that I have to get everything perfectly correct, is going to hold you back from being willing to take a risk, because if you risk... You, you probably will fail at some point, but I like to say there is no failing, there's only learning. And that is especially true in running a business. <laughs> if you're not willing to screw up in your business, you're not going to get very far. Um, I got a question the other day that stopped me dead in my tracks that was, how can you be proud of your failures? And I was like, what? Because we get taught, you know, don't screw up, don't fail, don't F up. But in fact, if you're going to grow your business, you got to pile on the, the, the Fs and screw. I mean, hopefully, like, don't drive your business off a cliff. But you've got to screw up in order to figure out what works. It's, like the, it's the only way. So accountants and CPAs genuinely care about their clients, I find. They genuinely want to help people. It is a service-based business. They care about the people that they serve. And the tendency is to end up with far too many clients be extended, way leveraged out, beyond, well beyond capacity, to the point where they can't, in fact, serve their clients very well in the way that those clients would like to be served and would likely pay more to, be, to receive better service. And yet the, the CPA gets caught in people-pleasing and wanting to say yes, in bending over backwards, in having very squishy boundaries. What are some of the people-pleasing thoughts that you hear from accountants in ways that's really getting them tripped up in their businesses? Yeah, I think people-pleasing is a huge problem in um, CPAs. But I think first we need to stop and recognize that that tendency to want to people-please comes from the fact that uh, so many accountants, all I, honestly, all the accountants I talk to, truly care about the welfare of their client. But where they trip themselves up is they, like you said, they say yes to things that they really don't want to do or they don't have time to do. And I think the shift in thinking needs to come to to the point where you can say, I truly care about my client's results and their outcomes, even if I'm not a part of that. If I want the best for them, and me taking on this extra client when I don't have the time, that's not the best for them. It's maybe best for them to go to someone else who has the capacity or the interest in what they're doing. So you can think about the welfare of your client and really care about it, but you need to think about it in the long run and in the truth that maybe you overextending yourself would not be the best, obviously for yourself, but it's not even the best thing for your client. Yeah, it's not the best thing for your client. 
for them to not get the service that they need, to not be able to get a hold of their CPA, to not be able to get answers, to receive answers that they then don't understand because it was terse or it was written too quickly or um, is missing context. It's genuinely, it can be genuinely not good for your client when the CPA people pleases and overextends themselves. This is um, like kind of anathema to talk about in a business sense, but how do you see guilt showing up? <laughs> a lot, actually. And it comes from partly the people pleasing. So an example would be my friend CPA firm uh, re- refers a client to me and I really don't have the time. I don't want to take them on. I tell them no, or even I take them on, but I feel so guilty. I see guilt showing up in, I spend too much time working. I see guilt showing up in undercharging. So I feel guilty if I charge them too much, but then I feel guilty to my family because I'm not earning more. So there is a lot of guilt I think that's associated often with the word should. I should do something or I shouldn't do something. And I always like to remind people that should comes from some authority. So where is this should coming from in your life? Like I should take this client because they were referred to me. Well, says who? What what authority is telling you you have to do that? And do you like and and agree with that authority? So... Should and guilt, uh, I think they walk hand in hand. And how about success? There's something that I see that's like, you know, because the nature of accounting tends to be, and tax tends to be historical, that creating something new, different, that hasn't been created before is like, I don't know what that looks like, therefore I can't do it. And the only thing that I can imagine is to extrapolate, for, to go into the past and extrapolate that forward and just kind of stay on the trajectory. And this idea of des- of saying, no, in fact, what I want is this thing, and I'm going to go out to the future and figure out what that looks like, what I want to be, and then I'm going to design from where I am now to where I want to be. So I'll just take these one at a time. How do you help people or how do you coach people around being able to create something that they don't have past evidence of having created? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I have to tell you, I've never really associated the historical mind frame of accounting to this question. But um, I think it comes down to compartmentalizing again. This is where you put your CEO entrepreneur hat on. This is where you recognize that the past is not a predictor of the future. I don't want to use the trite saying, but if you can dream it, you can do it. This is where you have to be a business owner and not a CPA. It's two different skill sets. It's totally two different skill sets. I'd be curious to know if you see this playing more frequently with women than men But what do you see in the way of fear of success and not wanting, like I live in a small town and people are going to think I've gotten too big for my britches or they're going to think I've gone uppity or they're just think I'm, they're just going to think I'm in it for the money. What are all the ways or what are some ways that you hear people kind of logically, rationally sounding, but shooting their own success in the foot? Yeah, that's a, a good point. And I think that's where you see a lot of the guilt coming in that they feel guilty when they start becoming more successful. And I think it maybe this goes back to like the nurturing 
uh, feeling that some, many accountants have a very nurturing, caring feeling about their clients. And it's almost like, well, I'm, I'm here to help them, not to help me. But the truth is, when you help you, you also become a better CPA, a better business owner, and therefore you can help your clients become better business owners. I will say this. I don't know if this is the um, movie industry to blame or who we, can, who we can look to for this, but there is this stereotype of the accountant as the quiet person who sits in the corner. They don't make a lot of noise. They are not very greedy. They're not demanding versus look at the, the commonly perceived lawyers, Wolf of Wall Street, you know, financial advisors, it's almost like they are supposed to be greedy, they are supposed to be larger than life. And accountants are supposed to be small and stay in their corner. And I think we need to bust out of that stereotype. Yeah, there is a total archetype of the accountant, this sort of agnosticism. That's like, I don't take a stand on anything, I just report the numbers. It can come across as a sort of standoffish aloofness that puts the client in a position where they're like, crap, I can't get what I need. I like, I feel like I'm just talking to a, a, like a computer and I need somebody to help me and actually be human with me in helping me understand my numbers. So it's sort of back to the, the archetype of the accountant just in the corner, tapping away and doing their job and producing the reports. You said that's something that you think the industry would do well to bust out of. For the CPAs who are just looking for permission, like how do you help them give themselves permission to step into the shoes that the client actually wants? So we talk about that a lot, actually, the idea of permission, because accounting, the accounting rules, you have the IRS rules, you're very rule-based as an accountant. But then again, you need to put on this different hat and be an entrepreneur, um, a, a CEO. And who are you asking permission from? Like in a lot of these things, that's my question is stop and think for a second. I want to offer the service, but I don't, I don't know if I should. There's the word should because uh, maybe clients won't like it. Well, who's telling you you should or shouldn't? There are no rules here. Uh, step out of your comfort zone and ask that question. And we're talking about the archetype of uh, CPAs and clients are looking for a different thing. I don't even know if clients are looking for it. What I think is they're going to like it when you bring it. They might not even know that it's a possibility. And I was thinking about this in relation, this might sound funny, but like a dry cleaners. I go to the dry cleaners, I drop off my husband's shirts and they iron them. That's it. But what if there was a dry cleaners that you could go and they could advise you on what's going to happen? How is the best way to actually wash this fabric? What's going to happen if I do I really need to dry this, you know, flat or can I put it in the washer? How do these fabrics hold up over time? What's the best way to get out stains? If I had a dry cleaner like that, I would be thrilled, but I'm not looking for it because I've never seen one. So come up with your ideas that you think are going to create value to your clients. Clients might not even know they want it until you show it to them. Create value for your clients. They might not even know that they want it until you show it to them. 
there's so much that clients are looking for that because of the way that things have been done for so long, there's just so much room for opportunity to create something in response to what you know your clients would benefit from getting. Someone might be wondering, how long does it take before I start to see the benefits of coaching? How long does it take? Like, are we talking like a four-year journey to kind of clean up a mindset or can you see progress pretty quickly? Well, I mean, that totally depends on the issue and the person. I have seen and I've experienced myself, people make a transition in 30 seconds. Um, someone points out to you. And I like to think of our coaching as like a golf coach. I experience the swing of the golf club, but there's a very different vantage point that the coach has. And he can say something little like, you know, your left shoulder is a little up too high and it can make all the difference in the world. We can do that for you in coaching, but then there are some issues that you just keep falling against. You know, you keep having these issues over and over again, and you just have to be content to chip away at them. But sometimes I see a turnaround, like literally within 30 seconds. And that I will admit as a coach, that is super fun to see when you just point out one little thing and then suddenly it's like everything clicks and they're like, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe you just pointed that out. And now everything is different. And that is really fun. But sometimes the issues take a lot longer to chip away at. And that means that they go a lot deeper. And if an issue goes deeper, it's more foundational. And once you do clear that up, you're going to see benefits in every area of your life. Sometimes it's quick and shallow. Sometimes it's deep and foundational, but the benefits are there for all of them. Yeah, I love it. And for listeners, our coaching sessions are 20 minutes and you'd be amazed just how far you can get in 20 minutes and how you can walk into a session with like some big thing that feels overwhelming and fraught and scary and walk out and be like, ah, oh, okay, now I know exactly how to tackle it. And it's not going to be a big deal. Emma, if people want coaching from you, where can they get it? Well, you can only get that inside of CPA Mastermind. Emma Richter, former CPA, accounting professor and certified life coach. Thank you so much for coming on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. My pleasure. See you inside CPA Mastermind. Hey, are you overworked? Do you desperately want to be somewhere different a year from now, but you feel overwhelmed with what to change? The next time you find yourself wondering what to do, wondering how to restructure your packages or how to reprice clients, head over to GeraldineCarter.com to check out ways I help CPAs just like you create a more sane accounting firm. Click the big red coaching options button at GeraldineCarter.com for more. Have an amazing week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.